0: Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whenever it is that you are listening to us. I hope that you are doing well and you are being blessed. Today, we're gonna move on to another Psalm, and hopefully you've been enjoying our series, A Journey Through the Psalms. So if you've got a Bible with you, why don't you have a look at Psalm chapter eight, or Psalm eight, where we'll look at this idea that man is king over the animals. And this one may not make us very popular with certain groups within society, but I want to show you that not everything is as it seems. So why don't you turn to your Bible now, press pause, and once you've read the psalm, start again for us. Well, praise the Lord, what an uplifting psalm, and it feels kind of like we were ready for something that was a little less depressing than some of the ones that we've had previously. Although the previous Psalms on the face of them seem depressing, they are in fact truly talking about in our own weaknesses how God is more than enough for us and how it is that we desperately need him. The purpose of the law of God and much of what we read in the Old Testament has its its need to chase us to the cross, to teach us that we might understand that we're not good enough on our own and we need Christ. That's not, we need Christ to get us through this or get us through that, but to get us to heaven. It is a place that we are shut out of because of our own actions and the sin that we've inherited. But the Lord, who is God above all, who has no reason to has come down and made a way where there was no way, has paid the price when he didn't have to be. He's the one who's come and paid the debt when he was the one that was wronged. So although it seemed dark the understanding that we're not good enough is something that is required to step into salvation and then we walk here into psalm 8 which is really in a sense it's about lordship it's about kingship and you can't help to have noticed that the second half of the chapter in particular really emphasizes or seems to be talking about how man is the ruler over all of nature Now, that is a controversial statement in this day and age. You know, just before the COVID lockdown, veganism itself seemed to be taking quite a popular turn to the point where it felt like militancy might take in an almost uh, a forcible nature to become vegan. Now, I can't deny my absolute hatred of vegetables, which many of my friends find hilarious, and my uh, great love of... Uh, anything bacon related now i don't make light at this situation because quite frankly i don't think that many of the proponents either side do find it light. i've heard of militant vegans uh, gluing the locks of butchers so that they can't get into their premises smashing them up and taking very seriously the idea that any meat is murder the concept and look at animals and saying their rights and their nature here on the earth So it can't help to mistake for many people who are in that level of militancy with regards to uh, vehemently attacking those who might cause what they deem as harm to an animal. Now, let's be fair here, any kind of animal cruelty is just wrong, it's plain wrong, and I'm not justifying that. But it's certainly a grey area for many people as to whether uh, eating meat is in the same vein. There are forms of butchery that are used that are crueler than others, but the humane nature is sometimes discussed or not. One of the things that seems to have spread through the church and Christianity is that being a vegan is somehow a Christian ideal, but I don't see that anywhere in scripture and would challenge that sometimes we take liberalism and we call it Christianity. Those two things are not the same thing. But even if you aren't so militant as to think that, particularly in the UK, where we're known as a nation of animal lovers, there's much in the Bible that happens to animals that would be considered um, unacceptable. And in particular, if we think of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, the various animals that must be sacrificed and how they must be sacrificed in order to pay atonement or to make the scene of atonement pain for sins as, Offerings to God as peace offerings, the people would look aghast now if a temple was resurrected within Jerusalem and these sacrifices were once again reenacted. In fact, I think there would be greater protests over that than many other things that Israel are often accused of. So it's a strange one for us, really. We can look back at something that God instituted in say, well, we don't feel comfortable with that element anymore. But I'm not going to talk into that particular subject. I it to say that God is God. Now, the way that some people kind of grasp hold of that is they do come here at Psalm 8 and they say, well, listen, look, we are the supreme beings of the planet. We are the ones that are above all things. And therefore, it is our right to hunt, to kill, to shoot, to eat. And in a sense that's absolutely true in the garden of Eden every animal was brought before Adam and he was brought before him to uh, for him to name but actually if you read that section in Genesis chapter 2 then what you will read is they weren't just brought before him so that he could name them but God said it wasn't good for man to be alone And so he created the animals out of the dust and brought each one of them to see if they would be a suitable helper. And none was found. So the Lord created from Adam's own rib, woman equally with him, out of the same being, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, so that they may in equality, man and woman, male and female, be in the image of God. And it's that reference, really, that is being declared here. Now, when man fell, the garden was corrupted. Creation itself was corrupted. And we have to come to a conclusion. It's a difficult one to kind of get our head around. If we think about the natural order of animals, we think about food chains, we think about uh, carnivorous animals and things like lions and tigers and how they may eat their other animals. We even, in our heads, have kind of been... Taught this idea of evil animals and good animals, as though the the grass-eating cow-like animals are the docile ones that need to be protected, and the flesh-eating uh, lions are the ones that we need to uh, get rid of because they're evil. Now, as we're in 2020, those kind of thoughts have changed. People see the natural world in a different way, and they question vehemently the idea that we are the supreme beings on the planet and have the right to rule over it, in particular, because with much of what is coming out from scientific research, whether you agree with, believe or not in global warming, whether you see or don't see uh, that kind of expression, one of the things that is abundantly clear is that species are being wiped off the face of the Earth. Mankind is spreading, digging for resources uh, and damaging its own environment. And you only have to see the large amounts of plastic in the ocean and uh, so on and so forth that animals that are killed because of our own waste and our own consumption that we are akin as it says in the matrix films to being more like a virus than a living species but of course that's when you're looking at all of this from a non-christian point of view or should I say a, a non-god created point of view you're looking at society, you're looking at creation, and you're challenging the idea, well, if man is the highest supreme king overall, then he isn't really looking after it very well. And that's why a psalm like psalm 8 is often, or at one time would have been relished and, and right up there, is now been brought down and kind of hidden behind the bookshelf so that we can't see it. It's not something that we want to declare. We are the lords of this earth but that's because we're looking at it too plainly. You remember that the Psalms, all the poetry itself, they're prophetic messages. There are conversations that are going on here. And in this particular message, this Psalm of David, David isn't glorifying himself because he's the king of all the earth, because the animals are below his feet, because he has a right to do what he wants on the land. We're never taught to worship God by worshiping ourselves. This would be an odd song to be in its place. When I was the pastor of a church with my worship team, they were allowed to, of course, pick and do the songs that they wanted, but we had a hard, fast rule, and that is that the worship song needed to worship God. It mustn't worship man or man's handiwork. There are songs out there that are about I, me, and some of those I and me's are about how I have failed and I need the Lord to save, so they're fine. But the song's about how great I am, Even how great I am because God has done stuff in me, are still not glorifying of God. Worship should be about glorifying God. In fact, it should be something that is in, as Jesus said to the woman at the well, in spirit and truth and pours out naturally from you. And so David isn't writing a psalm saying, how great is man? He's above the lions, the tigers and the bears Oh my, He is, in fact, worshipping God. And that's where we start with in the very first verse. It's important. Let's look at what the psalm says, not at the bits that we don't like about the psalm. And the psalm says, O Lord, O Jehovah, how excellent is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Now, the Lord's name is a powerful name. And names have an important meaning, particularly in the Bible. The Lord's name is Jehovah, and that's his name. And Jehovah means something. It it has an absolute Uh, power to it and the Lord gives the understanding of that name to Moses when Moses says before the Lord and he's received the tablets of stone the law upon them the Lord passes by him and we read this in Exodus 34 verse 6 and Jehovah passed by before him and proclaimed Jehovah Jehovah merciful and gracious long-suffering abundant in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins, who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the sons and on the sons of the sons to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed towards the earth and worshipped. See, the name of God should cause you to worship. But if you think about that name of God, as I've just described it to you there, then what you're actually reading is something that's akin to the fruits of the Holy Spirit that we read of in the book of Galatians. In other words, God's name, Jehovah, this name that David says in Psalm 8 that we uh, must worship, the name that is most excellent above all the earth, a name that is glory above the heavens, is a name that is about kindness and goodness and mercy and truth. And when we know that the Lord's name is about kindness and goodness and mercy and truth, We understand that when we are trying to exhibit the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the character that God wants us to, that it isn't within ourselves, it is God shining out from within us. That's a sideline, but it's the understanding of the Lord's name. And the Lord's name is above all things. And that's what David's point is here. Because David isn't trying to say man should be rejoiced because he can put his feet on the head of a lion, he can kill a gazelle and mount it upon his wall it's none of those kind of things that some people find admirable some people find hateful and somehow there's no in between and they can fall out about it david is saying how great is the lord's name the lord's name is above all the earth and it's even the glory in the heavens but then he says this next phrase out of the mouths of babes and sucklings you ordain strength because of one's vexing to cause the enemy and the avenger to cease. Here we see David making a point that is something that we all know. You can't fill a full cup. There's a world out there that is under God, but it doesn't acknowledge God. Now, if we think about that in truth, and then we consider this end part What we see is that David isn't making a declaration of why we should be praised because we are higher than the animals, because God has made us above the animals and put nature within our grasp. Let's be honest. When was the last time you saw a bunch of elephants trying to mine somewhere in Kenya for its iron deposits? It's humanity that has invented and designed and brought many different things and has tamed the world that it lives within. But even within that taming of the world that it lives within, it is incredibly wild. Only in our current future, we are completely being held hostage by a microscopic virus that nobody can see. We are held hostage to natural events such as tsunamis, earthquakes, And in this particular day and age, we've seen locusts, we've seen wars. We've seen all kinds of things that are beyond our control. And as much as we may have sent a man to the moon, we are still in ourselves rulers, whom are rulers over something that is chaotic. David says, you've made man ruler over all the works of the Lord's hands, you've put all things under His sea, all sheep, oxen, yes, beasts of the fields, birds of the heavens, fish of the sea, all that pass through the paths of the sea. But friends, we may be Lord over it. But if I say to a cat, and you all know this because this is cats, come here, it looks at me with utter disgust. I cannot order the fish to come from the sea onto my plate. I cannot order a cow to come across the side of a field in fact the way that man in fact holds these things is that he has his way of ordering them about which is usually a way that if we tried to treat people in this way we'd either be imprisoned or ourselves in civil war the lord is god over all things his name means merciful his name means kindness but his name also means judgment and yet He is ordained in the weak, in the young. He has taught to grow them, to know more of him. He knows that that's where praise is coming because, well, he may be Lord over all of this creation, but creation still does what it wants. It still rejects God. It still denies him. It still turns away from him. It still pours away. And so we have to have that heart and mind within us to know The absolute truth of it, that we have experienced what it is to be parents, but our kids not listen to us, to be adults and yet still be disrespected, to be rulers of the earth and know that we cannot order wild animals to do anything it does its own thing and so we have a position of power and authority and the position of power and authority that mankind has is that the work that we do in nature the mining the all the kind of pollution the tipping of our plastic it has an effect so we can't expect the birds of the air and the beasts of the sea, to, uh, beasts of the land to come out with brooms and pick up all of our mess. We know that it is we who may poison that world that is in it. So we are ruler. And, and this is kind of like it finds out when you've got kids. It seems such a great idea until you find out that they need stuff. You've got to keep buying them stuff that sometimes they can be disrespectful, and often they need your protection. And actually, it is work, work, work. Now, it's rewarding work, but it is work. And when you remember that element, then you understand that God is king of all the earth. But that's not him sitting on the throne and sitting back while his subjects feed him grapes. This is a Lord who has to work continually who has not rested and has not sat, is not sitting down on the job and saying, you get on with it, but is working constantly for creation. And that's why we can finish with this phrase, Oh Jehovah, oh Lord, how excellent is your name over all the earth, because we are an uncooperative planet to a God that loves us. And when we understand that, i mean that's on his friends. how often have you heard people who don't believe in the lord and say why does god allow cancer why does god allow why does god allow when they give him no benefit and effort for the fact that he sent his son to die that everybody could be set free that he has brought and is making a new heavens and new earth and has given us a way to get onto it now that's the challenge and there is in a sense a real typology in that because if you take what we read here in chapter 8 or psalm 8 it has a real resonance with what we read in 1 corinthians 15. now 1 corinthians 15 you read a similar thing from verse 27 he put all things under his feet but when he says all things he's put under his feet it's plain that it accepts him who's put all under things but all things are subject to him then the sun also will be subject to him, He was subjected all things to him, so that God may be in all things. He goes on to say this wonderful phrase about stars, which is something that we see, that things are different. And we read this next kind of phrase uh, where it says there are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is truly different than that of the earthly. One glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. One star differs from another star in glory. Now Daniel teaches us that when we are in the Lord's hands, we are those stars. He sees us as stars. The moon is likened to John the Baptist, the person who does not have his own light, but as the moon, our moon does, reflects the glory of the Lord. And so we have this wonderful teaching and challenge in a psalm that people get upset about because it seems to indicate that man can do what he wants to the animals, which actually teaches of the fact that when we understand that we may be over all this earth and yet we are poor husbandsmen, we are bad gardeners, we are not very good stewards of what God has given to us. We understand the difficult nature of the job that God has. And yet, whereas we may fail, he has not. And that's why God is worthy to be praised. The Lord bless you all.